calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Rogues of the Black Fury, Episode 30. Rogues of the Black Fury, a novel, written and produced by Travis Heerman. This novel contains violence, adult language, and mature situations. Listener discretion is advised. For more information, please visit travisheerman.com slash rogues. Special guest performer, Mary Rogers. For more information about Mary, check out the Rogues of the Black Fury homepage. Chapter 50 Sasha awoke to the sound of distant gunfire. Could it be? She was alone. Her tormentors had disappeared while she was unconscious. Her screaming shoulder definitely hurt worse than two minutes of heaven. Her blood soaked the ropes around her shoulder, making them stick to her skin, and the ropes wrenched her dislocated shoulder farther behind her. She could not shift her weight to ease the pressure. Her arm was numb, but her shoulder was a searing ball of hot pain that pulsed with every heartbeat. The sound came again. A pistol. Was that a scream of pain? Damn it all! If the Furies were indeed somewhere outside of this room, she wanted to help them. She'd always expected to die for one of them. The thought of any of them dying for her. Fresh tears streamed down her cheeks, but she did not know if they were pain or joy or sorrow. Clashing steel. She could not see the door of the room. She'd been tied facing the opposite wall, so she could better see the racks of pinchers and hooks and clamps and spikes and flaying knives. Here! I am here, she tried to shout, but her voice was all but cut off by the ropes around her neck. Another gunshot, closer this time. A battle cry. Was that Carl's voice? Struggling, clanging, thumping, shuffling, another sharp report, louder and louder, and more noise, but farther away now. No, two directions. A distant roar, like that of a beast from the depths of the underworld. Die, you black fucking horsons! She imagined Rusk's face as he tore through his enemies. She'd seen it before when the battle rage was in him. Eyes white with fury, teeth clenched so tight they could snap an iron bar, veins bulging on his scarlet forehead, his ponytail coming loose, and his hair flying about his head like the mane of a madman, unnoticed gashes dripping blood in his wake. 
She smiled. It hurt, but she smiled anyway. Footsteps in the doorway behind her. She tried to twist her head to see. By all the gods! Sasha! Carl's outcry filled the chamber. Carl! she cried. How could they do something like this? Her vision blurred, drowned in tears, and she could no longer speak, no longer hold back the sobs of joy and relief. Another voice. Sasha! She wept all the harder. Carl said, Javin! Cut her down! Get her out of there! The rest of you, we're still the anvil! Let's go! Running footsteps coming toward her, splashing through the blood-tinged puddle on the floor. They stopped a few paces behind her. Merciful moon mother, Javin whispered. She thought for a moment that her vanity would deny her the joy of hearing his voice, but it did not. She could feel his shock through his stunned stare, but he wasted only a moment. He circled around to face her and bent to look her into her eye. By Helion, it's good to see you, Sasha. She still could not speak through the sobs. Don't worry. I'll get you out of that hellish web. His gaze searched the ropes for the key knots, sliding away from her nakedness as if he was unwilling to look. He drew his dagger and began to cut one strand at a time. Her body sagged toward the floor, and he caught her. She had not felt such welcome arms around her in many years, burying her face in his rain-soaked, sweaty neck. Don't worry, Sasha, we're here. He continued to cut until the rope suspension collapsed completely, and she fell loose against him. Fresh pain tore through her shoulder, but she was free. I'm here. His arms tightened around her as he carried her away from the truss. He eased her down onto the floor. She clung to his neck with her good arm and kissed the side of his throat with tear-moistened lips. For a few heartbeats longer, he held her. Then he eased himself away to survey her wounds. Fresh screams and battle echoed from outside the room. Javin searched her face as if seeking an unsullied spot. He found one, leaned forward, and kissed her on the corner of her mouth. "'Where's Bella?' he said. Her heart flew into her throat. He was going to leave her here. "'I don't know. I don't know.' Her heart screamed, "'Don't leave me!' But her mind knew that he must. "'Your shoulder,' he said. "'It's not broken,' she gasped. "'Kick it!' He drew back. "'What?' "'I said, kick it! Stand up and plant your heel right here!' She tried to point with her good arm, but her fingers would not work. "'Do it, damn you!' He stood and obeyed her, placing his hard heel against the front of her shoulder, pressing her back against the stone wall. "'Now push!' He pushed, and fresh pain tore a cry from her throat. He relented. "'No! Harder! Kick it!' He laid his heel in place and shoved hard with his boot. With a loud, wet pop, her shoulder fell back into place. Sensation flared up her arm like a thousand bursting matches, but the grinding agony began to subside. She fell onto her side, gasping, curling into a ball. "'You did it,' she breathed. "'Thank you.' He knelt before her. "'Can you walk?' She shook her head. "'I don't think so. Maybe later, but not yet.' He cast his gaze about the room, looking for something to cover her. "'Don't worry about me,' she said. "'I'll be fine. Go up and find Bella. Don't leave me.' He stood up and peeled off his shirt, leaving himself bare-chested. He laid the shirt over her. It was wet and stank of sweat and sewer, but it was still warm from the heat of his body. She clutched it over her nakedness. I'll be back for you, Sasha. But in the meantime, in case those bastards return, he drew his pistol and handed it to her grip first. She sat up and took it. 
Her gaze moved over the pistol, with its beautifully engraved fittings of silver and gold and polished rose-colored wood, and the memory surfaced of how she had once kicked it out of his hand. "'I just reloaded it, and the powder is dry,' he said. "'I'll be back for you. I swear it.' She managed a saucy smirk and looked at him with her one good eye. "'The question is, Codsucker Wollstone, will I be here when you get back?' But she already knew the answer to that question. Chapter 51 Hassad watched as Karaboth and Tarak took arquebuses from the rack and began to load them. All around them the weapons of the Halhamut armory glinted in the lamplight. Stacks of powder barrels stood beside the rack of well-oiled pistols and arquebuses. The thunder outside sounded like distant cannon fire. "'Are you taking one, master?' Karaboth asked. "'My body is my weapon, Karaboth.' "'Consecrated to the gods and blessed by the great prophet,' Hassad said mildly. His underlings glanced at him. "'Perhaps your faith is beginning to flag. Indeed, our resolve is being tested. This is the true test. Only in times such as these is a man's true faith and resolve made evident to himself and to the great prophet.' Will your faith bend like a living willow branch and withstand the storm, or will it snap like a dead, dry twig? He trained his gaze upon them. Karaboth and Tarak stood straight, chorusing, Our faith is strong, Master. Our bodies belong to the great prophet. We are tools of the gods. Hassad nodded. May the great prophet bless us in our trial. All glory and praise to Sadim. The two others returned to loading their weapons. Hassad needed no more weapons. Under his robe he carried his Ibsothan dagger, the weapon that had been ever on his person since he was a young man. It had always served him well. The Sathak had been the symbolic and preferred weapon of the Brotherhood since the days of Sadith. There was no other weapon like it in the world, just as the Brotherhood was unique among men. Modern times had forced them to adapt to new tactics, new strategies, and Hassad was more than happy to use any tool that forwarded their cause. He was no fool. But the old ways still carried weight. The weight of his fine suit of mail hugged his shoulders and torso under his robes. The mail had been handed down for two hundred years, fashioned by Fazim the Black, the finest armor-smith that had ever lived, and it had been blessed by all the most holy high priests of Ibsatha, down through the ages. The weight of the mail felt like the impenetrable armor of the great prophet himself. He and his two men here were likely the only remaining brethren within Halhamut able to carry the fight. With guns, stealth, and sheer audacity, the enemy spies had already killed most of his brethren. There might be a few others waiting for a chance to re-emerge and strike a blow, but for all he knew, the enemy had already found Bella Wollstone and the woman spy. They had left the tower to return to his chambers and prepare for battle. Upon returning to continue the woman's interrogation, he met Karaboth and Tarak running to his chambers to report that the enemy had infiltrated the tower. Had he been in the torture chamber, he would have cut her throat at that moment. But by now, unfortunately, they were cut off from the tower room. No matter. 
the Brotherhood was still master of Halhamut. He knew every crack and crevice, every shadow, every secret passage, and from those shadows they could strike and disappear like smoke. They could kill every one of these troublesome intruders one by one. After that, their plans would continue. They would have to adapt to the changes wrought by these events, but their greater purpose would remain the same. They could replenish their ranks, with time, from the slums and peasant districts and villages. The Brotherhood's message fell most favorably upon the ears of the poor and the downtrodden. The Brotherhood's message gave hope and purpose to the hopeless and the aimless. The priest-kings could be manipulated in other ways. There were still Ibsothan groups hidden in every farthy city, in many Cuscan cities, in the free cities. This would be only a minor setback in the road to the coming of Chith. But there was still one thing they must do. Javin ran toward the sound of battle. A raucous din of shouts and clangs and scuffling feet clamored from the tower's spiral stairwell. He could not see the front of the melee, only Brick's back and Severn's shoulder were visible before the stair turned out of sight below him, but in that direction lay the courtyard. Rain spattered through the arrow slit onto his naked back and shoulders. Two levels above him was the torture chamber. Three levels above him was the door to the parapet walk that Javin, Carl, and the others had taken into the tower. Something nagged the back of his mind. Where would they hide Bella? He leaned into the arrow slit and surveyed the broad courtyard forty feet below. The day had brightened, and he could see out over the fortress. His gaze fell to the building that sheltered the well, to the roof. One side of the tile roof bore a large golden disc, a sun emblem. The other side carried a slightly smaller silver disc, the moon. At the crest of the roof stood the marble statue of a man, a prophet, supplicating himself to the sun and moon. Was the building's purpose ceremonial? The accoutrements that they had found in the building affirmed this question. What had the slave girl, Seersir, said about a ceremony? Some kind of purification ritual. His mind flashed upon the cloths, the bath, the ritual knife, the sacred well. Had the Fury's arrival interrupted this ceremony? Bella had been there! His eyes searched the courtyard again with growing fever. Where would they have taken her to keep her hidden from the unexpected intruders? Some place close to the well, perhaps, but out of the way. There were several outbuildings in easy distance from the well, a stable, a carriage house, a ruined granary, a smithy, a storehouse. Was that a dim figure peering from inside the shadowy stable door? He turned and ran up the steps. Javin dashed headlong around the parapet walk toward the guard tower on the opposite corner of the courtyard. Lightning slashed the sky, and the thunder crashed so close that the fortress shuddered beneath his feet. His only weapon was his broadsword, and the scabbard flapped against his leg as he ran. The opposite guard tower would bring him down to the courtyard near the stable, out of sight of the door where he had seen someone. Its entrance was not far from the well, and it lay farther away from the barbican where the Furies had emerged into the fortress. It was out of the way, innocuous, the perfect place to stay out of sight for a short time. Javin plunged down the guard tower stairs until he reached the level of the courtyard, 
then slowed. The stable had a single small window on the near side. Around the front of the building were two sets of broad double doors. He crept out of the guard tower along the wall and toward the stable window. He peeked inside. There she was, on the far end of the stable, cold and shivering in a drenched shift of white linen, sitting in a pile of moldy straw with two grim farthy women on either side of her. Ten calads occupied the stalls, alert and skittish, their ears pricked up and rotating. One of them turned to look at Javin impassively. Beyond those were the stalls filled with docile draft box. There was a man, too, with a shock of white-hot rage that hit him like a physical blow. Javin recognized him. Rage surged through his veins like liquid fire and whipped his heart into a gallop. He peeked again. The man stood in the shadows of the far doorway, listening, searching. Javin could no longer hear the sounds of battle from the opposite tower. His body felt stiff as he stood to his full height like a bar of cold iron, but as he walked around the corner of the stable toward the doors, the rage in his blood heated the iron, turned it molten, softened it for forging. The long scar on his shoulder crackled with spite. He stepped through the nearest door. "'You're finished, Rolf,' he said. A space of twenty paces stretched between them, strewn with straw and collard dung. The man started as he spun to face Javin. A malicious smile spread across his features. "'So, Lord Captain,' he sneered, "'you've come a long way.' Javin continued toward him and stopped a few paces away, a cautious but threatening distance. "'Indeed I have, and I'm captain of nothing now. You can call me Lord Codsucker if you choose to show respect to your better.' He did not take his eyes from Rolf where an instant of confusion flickered across the man's features. Bella's mouth fell open. "'Javin, is it you?' she gasped. "'Father sends you his love, and for you, Rolf, I bring only justice.' Javin raised his sword and took a step forward. The curved, serrated long knife appeared in Rolf's hand. "'You can call me Adon now, my true name. I have despised the name Rolf from the first day I took it on.' The rage in Javin's chest rose up like the thunderclouds above the fortress, heaving against his ribs, and the thing that had been writhing in his belly, surging and slumbering by turns, the thing that he had first noticed aboard Bella's star when he began his training in earnest, burst free. A silent scream of rage filled his ears and settled over his limbs like a terrifying calm. "'Greetings, Death,' Javin said. Another look of confusion flickered through Adon's eyes, in that instant, Javin attacked. Blades clashed. Bella screamed. The air screeched with a noise that only blades could make as they slashed and struck. The two men hacked and stabbed and parried and blocked. Javin's muscles moved with the instincts born out of pain and repetition on the uncertain deck of a heaving ship. His feet were solid, his aim sure, and his longer weapon kept his enemy on the defensive. But the betrayer's long knife was light and swift darting perilously close under Javin's guard, licking at him like a serpent's tongue. A distant sliver of his mind realized that his opponent was faster, more skilled, but it did not matter. His opponent fought defensively, for now, waiting for Javin's furious attack to sap his strength. But Javin knew death now. He had unleashed it within him. There was no point leaving any of his strength on the battlefield. The two men surged together, struck, block, and clinched, 
their hot breath mixed as they stood face to face, their blades edge to edge, fuse quivering with strain. Adon spun out of the clinch and lashed out with a spinning kick. The heel of his foot crashed against the side of Javin's head. He felt little pain, but the force of the blow knocked him to the side, half through the open stable door into the rain. He spun just in time to raise his blade in defense as the long knife darted toward his face. The knife glanced off Javin's broadsword and sliced across his pate, across the numb flap of scalp. Hotness spilled into his hair, into his heart. His lips drew back against his teeth. He scrambled back into the courtyard, splashing through rain puddles. Adon advanced out of the stable, his face expressionless. Warmth spread across the top of Javin's head, and blood began to drip onto his face and down the back of his neck. Raindrops pattered into the open gash across the top of his skull. Adon lunged, long knife licking toward Javin's bowels. Javin parried, another quick succession of strikes, each one coming closer to Javin's body. He could feel the tide of the fight shifting against him. The blood poured down his face, mingling with the drenching rain. The hilt of his broadsword grew slick. He wiped the blood from his eye and did not see the spinning elbow until it crashed into his temple. He staggered to the side, the strength in his legs disappearing like water. Another powerful kick plowed into his belly and drove him sprawling onto his back with a splash. His broadsword skittered away. His enemy did not waste an instant to gloat. The long knife glinted toward Javin's heart. Bella screamed again. A pistol shot echoed in the rain. Adon jerked and sank to one knee, gasping, coughing. He clutched at his side where a flower of scarlet stain bloomed under his fingers. Javin scrambled to his feet, kicking the long knife out of Adon's dangling fingers, and laid another kick against Adon's face with every dram of his strength. He felt nose and teeth and cheekbones shatter against his foot, and Adon's head flew back to smash against the ground. Javin flung himself down upon Adon's chest, his fists pummeling and pummeling with every grain of strength in him. A man's face is softer than a mainmast. Adon's body stopped struggling. Javin hammered and cursed amid the rain of water and blood. Adon's body began to spasm and twitch. He's dead, Javin, said a voice behind him. Javin's fist struck three more blows before he stopped. Blood smeared halfway up his forearms. Spatters crisscrossed his naked chest and mixed with the blood dripping down his cheeks. He stood and turned. Tonin's pistol dangled from his left hand. His right hand was a bulbous lump of blood-soaked bandages which he clutched to his chest. Javin turned to look at the betrayer again. He is indeed. The rage seeped away, leaving a vague, nauseated trembling in its wake. Tonin holstered the pistol and picked up Javin's broadsword, handing it to him hilt first. I take it you had a grudge against this one. I did. That wasn't very honorable, what you did. He's dead, and you're still alive. We can wrangle about honor after you have a moment to appreciate that. I'm just glad the pistol went off in all this rain. And the left-handed shot as well. Javin turned toward the stable. The two farthy women, dressed in thick, dark robes, heavy veils obscuring all but their eyes, had hold of Bella's straining arms. But at the sight of the ensanguined figure in the stable doorway, they released her and scrambled away. Tonin snatched out his empty pistol and shouted a command at them in Farthy. Their eyes were fierce and angry, but they halted. Bella lunged toward Javin, streaming tears and laughter, and he opened his arms to embrace her. 
The cool tingle of relief washed the weariness and pain and rage away like a fresh, clean rain. He smoothed her hair and kissed her head. His blood dripped onto her hair, and handprints in Adon's blood smeared the back of her pure white shift. Thank you for listening to Rogues of the Black Fury by Travis Heerman. If you enjoy the story, don't be shy. Let me know. I would love to hear from you. And don't forget to go to this podcast's homepage and click the donate button. Give whatever you like, but is $4.99 really too much to ask for this many hours of entertainment? Rogues of the Black Fury is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. I encourage you to copy it and give it away to all your roguish friends. Just don't change it or sell it or the Black Furies will soon be coming after you.